This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Achoo! I see you there, beckoning me to come over and caress your... Sorry, guys. Uh, this is Gabo from the uh, Life After from Oni Press. I was reading the wrong intro. Um, you guys are actually listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with uh, Joe and Matt. <laughs> yeah, that's... Sort of break that's it, break down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the landmark episode. Oh wait, 170 is next week. Uh, episode 169. <laughs> 170 is also not a landmark. Oh, it's a huge <laughs> landmark. You kidding me? THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, July 9th. My name is Matt Bomb. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Bombstein. When I'm not absolutely shocked at how well my wife has accepted my rediscovered love for professional wrestling and a little worried about how willing she is to watch. I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not fielding Twitter questions about the Midnighter and other Wildstorm characters that Matt loves, while he's busy making his wife watch wrestling, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. He's not my Midnighter until they get that dumb spike off his face. It's gone, it's gone. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Life After, number one, and Grayson, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics, faster than a gang of Jewish apes can run down Gary Oldman during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're consoling Congorilla and some of our less famous great ape friends while talking about next week's comics. And then it's time to play Ask a Nerd, where we answer one lucky listener's comic book question. But before we start alienating potential sponsors, let's welcome LeBron home to Cleveland and thank the basketball gods for not making us sit through another ESPN decision special. And then we'll talk about this week's Marvel Comics is giving another chance. Nope. Marvel Comics is giving Bucky another chance at a solo series, but not in the way you might expect. What? You, yeah, it's true. The publisher has announced that Bucky Barnes, colon, The Winter Soldier, will launch in October in the wake of Original Sin. The series will be written by Zero and Secret Avengers writer Ailes Cott, and Marco Rudy, last seen on Marvel Knights Spider-Man, will handle the art Following the events of OG Sin, Bucky will now find himself on the cosmic stage. OG Sin. Yeah, that's right. In an interview with the Onion AV Club, editor Will Moss compared the series to James Bond. Quote, if Bond had access to the characters and settings of all the other great film franchises. End quote. I don't even know what that means. It's like if James Bond was like, surf's up, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> or or like, whatever. It shoots Indiana Jones in the back of the head yeah, while right. he's running away. <laughs> Not that James Bond would do that. No, no, no. It'd be cool, though. Describing some of the topics the new series will focus on, Cot said, quote, Embrace yourself. This is good. Fluid identity and fluid gender. <laughs> Many worlds theory. Feminism. Taoism. Pacifism. Nature and the systems we impose on it. Life in space. Empathy. Power unrestrained and power controlled. The Randian belief in the vampire self slash 20th century capitalism. What it brings. What can come after. Did I mention empathy? I know I did. I'll mention it again. Empathy. End quote. <laughs> I understood about a quarter of that. Ailscott <laughs> is a fucking weirdo. He's a total weirdo. And this seems like a really bizarre direction for the Winter Soldier. What do you think? Um, if you want to reinforce his weirdness, follow his Tumblr. Man. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> it really gets weird. I think this sounds 
awesome. I love Ailes Cot. The Winter Soldier, like, screw it, man. Cosmic style? Let's go nuts. I mean, let's throw him in. He's already, like, cosmically involved with, you know, I mean, cosmic cubes and baddies from space and... Sure. And Nazis that have traveled time. I mean, come on. This is just a logical extension. I suppose. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to get that weird. Actually, it's probably going to get <laughs> weird. Yeah. Yes. Did you hear me what I just said? All it's going to get weird. We've already got a bunch of different spy characters. And we've already got a Captain America book. They tried to do a Winter Soldier book, which is like a slightly harder edge Captain America. And it was good. I liked it. But I think readers already get a lot of that. So they've got to find something... New and interesting to do with this character because he's going to be around for a while in the movies. Yeah. So he should have a book. And he's a great character. I love Bucky Barnes. Oh, I'm, I do too. I'm kind of tired of him being called the Winter Soldier, though. I'm, I'm just over it. He's not the Winter Soldier anymore. There is no Soviet Union. I mean, like, he's a different character now. Let's Maybe call he him just likes the cold. U.S. agent. <gasps> see what I just did Shut there? Up. I just, see what I just did? Something happened to me in, I my, know, in right? my pants area. Right? <laughs> Because we don't have a U.S. agent right now. He's the guy willing to do what Cap can't do, you know? Like, man. But regardless, this sounds like a ton well, of fun. Well, he's also not a United States agent. I get it. That's true. Well, he's working for S.H.I.E.L.D. No, Bucky is a spy. Oh, he's that's all right. Over. Who's In he fact, spying they, for? He was, like, presumed dead and Who's he spying on the for? run. He's got to be spying for somebody. He's not spying for himself. He's out in the cold. <laughs> this sounds awesome. Marco Rudy is very talented. Oh, Marco Rudy's awesome. Super happy to see him getting work. The, now, there are lots of rulers... Uh, Rulers. There are lots of rumors. A bunch of rulers out there. Kind of swirling around about Original Sin. And most of them center on the idea that Nick Fury will become the new Watcher. Love it. But what if it's Bucky? Love it. It's not going to be Bucky. Bucky's too much of an action character. They've already established Nick Fury as old guy. You know? Like, old guy getting older. I think it is going to be Nick Fury, but I don't think he's going to be, like, cosmically in-tuned Watcher. It's going to be more like... All Nick right. Fury in his moon base. Right. Watching the Earth. Peddling secrets. Spying on everybody. Sure, you know? yeah. Well, this is certainly out of left field yeah. and unexpected. And but more Ailes Cot, that's a good thing, man. It, I it's feel true. like DC totally wasted that guy. Totally wasted him. He is so talented. It's true. It's true. This, this should be interesting. <clears throat> in TV news, the producers of NBC's Constantine are making a major casting change before the first episode has even aired. Actress Lucy Griffiths has left the show after the producers decided on a change in direction. Griffiths played Liv in the pilot, the cursed daughter of Constantine's old friend, and was set to be a sidekick of sorts. Puke. As she and John wandered America fighting demons. Instead, a character is being added straight from the pages of Hellblazer. Zed, who first appeared way back in Hellblazer number 4 in 1988, will be introduced in an early episode and become Constantine's right-hand woman. Joe, do you think losing Griffiths is a big deal? And who the hell is Zed? I have no idea. I do. I remember Zed. Not a major character. Popped up here and there and then just kind of forgotten. I was doing some research, and this is what the Hellblazer wiki said. Zed was the daughter of an evangelical family whose father like offered yeah. her up as the vessel for an angel to have some sort of weird angel baby. Yeah. But and, not all angels were good angels. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what dad didn't get. And John saved her from that fate by kind of like tainting her with his own blood, which is like cursed by demons or whatever. Right. She appeared early on and she popped up here and there during Jamie Delano's run, mm -hmm. but she was never seen again past like issue 30 or 34. No, she was basically a Jamie Delano idea. And I think they left at that. Sure. I think it's great. More source material 
inspiration? Absolutely. Absolutely. I watched the pilot after you talked about it. I did not love it as much as you did. I thought it was just kind of cheesy, and I really didn't like the Griffith character. It just didn't well, jibe. Yeah. And I talked about that, you know, yeah. like John Constantine on the road with gal sidekick. Yeah. Like naive female psychic that's not hellblazer no and i don't if need they, to see every episode well you're gonna have to get used to these kind of demons coming through here and whatever that's called a stinky demon or whatever like <laughs> whoa why is this still happening you know right. like okay i get it if they're going to have a female lead and they should it should be somebody that's more on equal footing with constantine yeah and it sounds like that's what they're doing here she's like the female Chaz almost yeah and you know, I don't know much about Zed in the comics, but according to what they said about how they're going to develop her character, it sounds like she's going to be more of a peer than like somebody he's watching over. Sure. If I had it my way, there's no sidekick at all. He's just an asshole, does his thing. He, you know, he's a loner. Sure. People call him because they have to. That would be ideal. But yeah. then who is he gonna who is he gonna have romantic tension with, Matt? It's he doesn't it's, have to have any romantic tension. It's television. He can just call his sister every once in a while, and she yells at him, just like in the comics. You know. <laughs> Well, that used to be. I don't know anymore. Now, I don't know. It's a PG, Constantine. <laughs> right. I don't know. One thing I did take from this bit of news is that they absolutely leaked these pilots on purpose. It's no accident that these things went out. It's certainly not a bad idea to do so just to see how people react. Because and when you get an overwhelming amount of feedback saying, that girl sucks. Yeah. You know, well, it's, yeah, it does seem like more than a coincidence. They're like, oh, well, don't worry, like, she's not in the show anymore. Two, <laughs> two weeks after the pilot accidentally leaked. Oh, yeah, we leaked, never planned on letting her be in this show. <laughs> the show takes a complete left turn. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they absolutely said, let's see what people think of this. Mm -hmm. In a move that has already spawned countless Tumblr blogs, DC Comics has announced that Batgirl will undergo a complete creative overhaul with issue 35 in October. Former Catwoman and Batman Incorporated artist Cameron Stewart will script the series alongside co-writer Brendan Fletcher as well as provide covers and layouts. Artistic newcomer Babs Tarr will pencil the series. She's a newcomer to comics. Right. She is... Uh, I looked at her website. She's an illustrator. She's very good. Stewart has designed a much more functional, less sexualized costume for Barbara. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's not like she had her nipples are showing No, but it, <laughs> like her costume was very... It was very much like the the male identity, uh, the male idea of what. Yeah, skin tight. Yeah, it's like you know, like yeah. You know, in this new design, she's wearing like a leather tunic, you know, con like combat boots. She, a leather moo moo on. Yeah, she she still looks <laughs> feminine, but it's also right. it's, it's she's not wearing heels to fight. Right, crime, it's much much I much more practical and functional. Like Catwoman ran around in combat boots. That makes sense. She's climbing buildings and stuff like that. But for some reason, Bat Batgirl. Is running around with heels on, like six inch heels. <laughs> For stabbing, I know guys, prostitutes though. can run with those on pretty good. <laughs> anyway, Barbara will be rebuilding her social and crime fighting lives in a trendy Gotham neighborhood called Burnside after a fire destroys everything she owns. The new direction will feature single standalone stories tied together by a larger arc, kind of like Moon Knight. Although Moon Knight, there's no real larger arc. Not yet. Anyway. Fletcher told MTV that the team is drawing inspiration from television shows like Veronica Mars, Girls, and, quote, a dash of Sherlock. Hmm. Expect lots of new characters, but the writers promise that the supporting cast from Gail Simone's run will continue to be a presence in the book. Now, Matt, it looks like DC's finally letting Batgirl evolve away from 
the Batman with boobs, which is what she was, right, into something more fitting for a female character her age, do you think it is a smart move for the character? Before we get into the Batgirl stuff, let's address the Gail Simone thing. And I'm not going to launch into a conspiracy. No, 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 fine. It, it sounds like there's not a conspiracy. Gail Simone has come out and said that she did leave the book over yes. creative differences, but DC didn't fire her. It's like the editors on the book at the time wanted to go in a direction. Gail wanted to do something different. So she's like, well, we're parting ways. That's just how it goes. And then those editors got fired. No. <laughs> those, whatever, something. There is now a new editor on the book. Yeah. So immediately after Gail left the book, the editor got replaced by somebody different who is going, it seems, in a direction that Gail wanted to kind of go in anyway. So it's a bit of a weird timing issue, but there's no hard feelings there. Okay. And that's good. Definitely. Because DC doesn't need any more negative press yeah, from creators. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and good luck to Gail. I did not care about her Batgirl run particularly. I Me have neither. loved a lot of stuff that she's written, but I'm tired of the way Batgirl looked. I'm tired of the super serious 90s feel to the book. Right. It's just stupid. It's tired. There's nothing new there. No matter how well written it was... Because Gail Simone is a very gifted writer. Yeah, and it was not poorly written. I it was that. a tremendous disservice to the character of Barbara yes. Gordon to undo yes. all of the characterization of the past 20 years. And that's not necessarily Gail's fault, but that's what she was given to work She with. was stuck with it. Right. And she was doing her best, and she was doing a great job by all accounts. There are lots of people that liked that book. Sure. But it was bogged down in Batman-level gritty nonsense. Yes. And there was just no identity for the character whatsoever. This book needs to be like Batgirl. Barbara Gordon's Batgirl used to be a character that celebrated being Batgirl. Yeah. Like she, she was happy and she was like, she became Batgirl for fun and driven, you know, and like never really took it as seriously as Batman wanted her to and stuff. Yeah. And yes, the killing joke happened and, and, and that gave us Oracle. And then she took it a lot more seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but if they're shot in the spine, will do that. But if they're going to. Rev they, Bar Barbara is Batgirl. There's no going back. Yeah. So if they're going to go back to that status quo, they need to recapture a spirit of adventure and fun. Right. To differentiate Batgirl from every other Bat book on the stands, and there are already very, very many. And just looking at this Babs Tar image, and she's really good. Very just good. looking at this image, she's got the yellow inside of her cape, she's wearing yellow docks, and she's smiling. Yes. When was the last time we saw Batgirl smile? Right. You know, like every issue was her on the cover in horrible pain, you know, with like a terrifying psychopath. And you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Save that for Batman, you know? <laughs> right. But this looks good. And, it does. And they are, I'm glad that DC is loosening up a little bit and allowing some fresh ideas as opposed to, no, everything stays in 1996 because right. that's when it was selling, you know? You know, it's it seems like there's a very quiet, see change happening at DC where there are subtle changes in tone happening like this for example there's a new team on Catwoman that was just announced right. that I, I didn't there were other things to talk about that week so I didn't mention it um, Gotham Academy is coming out which is a fun book about kids going to private school in Gotham City yeah it, it looks like a lot of fun and I should mention and I because I, I always bring this up the numbers Batgirl is a title that's been selling Fairly well for them and going up a little bit, truthfully. So it's not, this wasn't like an idea like, oh, the sales are in the can or whatever. They're actually taking a chance. And that's good. Right. It's a good thing because it right now, 
this is a character that I really enjoy, and it's been completely stale and completely bogged down in this hardcore, mean 1990s noir that I got over almost 20 years ago, you know? I mean, sure. like, come on, guys. It sounds like they're going to smarten her up a little bit, move her a little closer to that Oracle character that you and I loved, not necessarily sitting behind a computer, but the detective, the really intelligent, driven Babs, and that's what we need to see, you right. know, enjoying and, being Batgirl. And it makes you know? sense for this book to star a character that actually acts her age. Yes. Instead of a character where the writer says she's 22 or 25. Or whatever. And she acts like she's 40, just like every other superhero in the DC universe. Right. Sorry, old dudes. You're just going to have to deal with it. Yep. Some books are for young people. And that's fine. And I think that this looks like a ton of fun. I'm very excited. I hope Gail, I know that she said she's got some new projects lined up. I don't know what they are. They might not be with DC. Sounds like they're not, according to her Twitter. They they may or may not be. She's not confirming anything. Okay. Um, she's at a con now. She's uh, in London. She said there might be some hints and Comic Cons in a couple weeks. So we'll we'll uh, probably know more. There'll be an announcement soon. She's gonna land on her feet. She's a great writer. But it's not like she's out of work. She's no. just it's the way these things happen. Yeah. People want to go in a different direction. And so there's an amicable parting of ways. And again, not blaming Gail Simone. She was doing the best she could with what she was presenting. Absolutely. There we go. See? No conspiracy. Listen to me. Huh? That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the PHN Forum, where Joe has unveiled a new, less hyper-sexualized costume for me, <laughs> and I could not be angrier about it. You can't parade around with a boob window on your crotch. <laughs> I tell you, I'm not on that stair-stepper for my health, buddy. Every Sunday, the hypo-sexualized Joe Patrick posts the question of the week our THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at twoheadednerd.com, but you got to know that by now. Joe, what are we asking the listeners this week? We've been talking a lot about girl power today. There's a lot of lady energy in We're getting room. in touch with our feminine side. It's true. We want to know, who is your favorite female comic book character? Right. That's it. Straightforward, to the point. Pick a character. Tell us who it is. Let's talk about the ladies. Tell us why she's your favorite. It's that easy. You have until midnight this coming Thursday, July 17th. To get us your answer, you can call and leave a message with your answer using Skype. The Skype handle is 2 nerd, all one word, or at the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Remember, keep it short, less than two or three minutes, and pick one answer, your favorite. Otherwise, you'll get cut off, Other, either by Google or by Matt, mean old in Matt the interest of, uh, of good editing. <laughs> you can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Again, keep it on the short side. If you need more time, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN Web Forums. It's review time on THN where Matt and I swing from the trees, beat on our chests, and howl about two of this week's new comics. Matt, climb down here and tell the listeners about what you reviewed this week. This week I'm reviewing The Life After from Oni Press, written by Joshua Hale Fielkov, with art by Gabo. Gabo. Okay, here's your solicit. <laughs> An infinite city built on infinite sadness. There's one man capable of breaking free. He will go through heaven and hell to save us all. Literally. A fantastical coming-of-age journey through the afterlife and beyond from Joshua Hale Fielkov. Now, there's something about movies 
like the Truman Show and Cabin in the Woods, where a team of people are secretly controlling everything in an unsuspecting main character's environment that I love. And that sort of seems to be what's going on here as we meet our hero. He's a normal guy in a painfully boring existence that seems to repeat himself every day. There's a wonderful two-page spread. Not in a Groundhog Day kind of way. Not a Groundhog Day. Just like, your life is awful. Just completely boring. You know, the same crap. There's a wonderful spread by Gabo. It's a two-page spread with probably 60 little boxes of this guy's life. And it just repeats and repeats and repeats. And he keeps like waking up. He's cold. He's tired. He hates his toothpaste. He hates his repetitive job. He, there's this girl that he sees on the bus every day, but he doesn't have the balls to talk to her. She drops her handkerchief every day, and he wants to pick it up and give it back to her, but he just can't. He's hoping that if he does, in that moment, he thinks about it, that if he were to do that, pick up this handkerchief and hand it to the girl in that moment, something might change. And the one time that he does muster up the courage to do it, stuff changes big time. <laughs> Something huge that may upset the entire universal order of the people trying to control our hero's reality. Newcomer, single named Gabo, is nothing short of perfect for this story. He has a very simple, loose, cartoonish style, but he packs every panel with just a ton of emotion. And I didn't even notice that the first half of the, not maybe half of the book, but the first part of the book where we see the hero repeating his life and all the people around him just bored out of their skulls. It's kind of, the colors are a little duller. Everyone looks very similar, very flat-faced. And then the second that he makes a decision to change his life, the book lights up, literally lights up. The colors leap off the page. Everyone becomes more and more emotional. It, it was just a stunning look. The art simultaneously explodes with Fielkov's story and becomes just this completely insane emotional roller coaster. This was an excellent first effort for Gabo and another great story idea from Fielkov, who impresses me more and more every time I read his stuff. I have no idea where the story is going, but it's another perfect example of a story that could only exist in the pages of comics and I think only exist at Oni. They're doing a great job setting up some wonderful storylines right now. The, the auteur, Helheim, this book. Uh, there's, another, there's a couple more coming real soon here. They're sort of setting themselves apart as an even wackier Vertigo comics, and I love what they've got going on. This was absolutely fantastic. I'm giving it a buy. Yeah, I loved it too, and I'm going to disagree. The second I finished reading it, my first thought was, man, I'd love to watch a weekly TV show like this. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I just don't know that it could be done. <laughs> sure. I mean, there are fantastical elements, so certainly there would be budget concerns, but I've seen weirder shit on TV than this. Okay. I loved the idea. I loved the uh, storytelling and how it progressed and, and the way Gabo packed every panel, uh, packed every page with tiny panels. Like Matt said, his art is not like super detailed or tight. It's very loose. It's very cartoonish, I suppose. He uses every inch of the page to tell that story. And so even though it was only a 20 or 22 page book, it really felt like a a meaty yeah. introduction to this world. And I think then, he's much more of an illustrator than a comic book right. artist, you can tell. And it was really wonderful. And there's a twist at the end uh, with another character I, that we will not talk about. It's too good. 
(laughs) It's just too good. When, you know, after he uh, grabs the handkerchief and kind of breaks free of the monotony, something happens and it's awesome. And now I can't wait to find out where it's going. Loved it. Huge bite from me. Joey, I heard Dick Grayson got a facelift and a uh, entire new lease on life. Why don't you tell the kids about it? Hey, oh. This week I'm reviewing Grayson number one from DC Comics, written by Tim Seeley and Tom King, with art by Mikkel Jannon. Here's your solicit Dick Grayson, former sidekick, former superhero, former dead man, and now agent of Spiral. A thrilling <laughs> new chapter of Dick Grayson's life begins in this new ongoing series. It's a super spy thriller that will shock you and prove one thing. You might think you know Nightwing, but you don't know Dick. <sighs> really? That's what the solicit says? Like, I... You don't know Dick? Three or... so clever. Three or four different, like, announcements, ads, and blurbs that use God. that same you don't know Dick, and it's stupid and I hate it. And it's the worst thing about this book, thankfully. Following the events of Forever Evil, Dick Grayson's identity as Nightwing is now public knowledge. With his super career over, I guess, Dick is free to do Batman's dirty work undercover within Spiral, a shadowy organization created by Grant Morrison in the pages of Batman Incorporated. The first thing I noticed, obviously, was the stunning cover by Andrew Robinson. It's slick and stylish with eye-popping colors that grabbed my attention right away. While I wasn't too sure about this new direction for Dick, I have to say that I really enjoyed this. Writers Seely and King have a firm grasp on Grayson's character and tell you everything you need to know about him in a single-page origin reminiscent of the first page of Morrison's All-Star Superman. Dick is clearly having fun in his new role as international super spy, which helps to set the tone for this issue and hopefully the series as it continues. This is James Bond meets Jason Bourne in a world full of superpowers, it needs to be fun and exciting, and Grayson number one absolutely is. The art by Mikkel Jannon is superb. When he first came on the scene with Justice League Dark, I thought his work was solid, but kind of stiff. A poor fit for superhero comics. Either I was completely wrong, or he's come a long way in three years. Jannon's art is sleek and sexy, and his sense of action pacing is kinetic and vibrant. The softer, less saturated colors by Jeremy Cox are a great addition to the book's visuals. This is a really good-looking book. As with most new first issues from DC, I approached Grayson number one with caution, prepared for the worst, but hoping for something sort of passable. Consider me very pleasantly surprised. Toss in a surprise visit by the Midnighter, an intriguing introduction to the new 52 version of Helena Bertinelli, and Grayson number one turns out to be a really fun read with amazing art and a premise that has me really interested for what's in store for the character. This gets a strong buy it from me. Okay, real quick, without launching into oh, okay. a two-hour explanation. Yeah, yeah. Helena Bertinelli, the Huntress. Okay, uh, here's, here's the scoop. Pre the New 52. She was the Huntress. After, after Crisis on Infinite Earths, but before right. the New 52 reboot, Helena Bertinelli was the Huntress. Popped up in like 1989 or something. Yeah, but... With the new fifty two, they went back to the idea from pre crisis, the Earth two Huntress. That Huntress is the daughter of Batman, and she is still running around in the pages of World's Finest, World's Finest, and Earth two. Yeah, okay, but that is not that is her name is Helena Wayne. Helena Wayne. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in fact, in World's Finest, at the beginning, they revealed that she had been using Helena Bertinelli as an alias. Okay. 
And in the first issue, she like she like burns the password. She's like, "Well, thanks for everything, Helena Bertinelli. It's over now." Now there's this is an actual Helena Bertinelli, right? <laughs> I, like I'm sure that when they wrote that, they right. were not expecting to they didn't see this redo Helena Bertinelli, and that's not a big deal. No, uh, regardless, Tim Seeley on my most improved list, man, he is coming up. That dude has yeah. written uh, like. I never gave a crap about Hackslash, and maybe I need to revisit it or something. I don't know. But it just looked kind of like ridiculous TNA horror comic to me. Now, all of a sudden, he's writing like two or three books that I think are fantastic, and this is one of them. This was a ton of fun. Yeah. And I think this is further evidence of what we were just talking about, DC loosening up a little bit, trying some new ideas. I liked Nightwing. It was fine. I'll say that. I'm not going to say it was excellent. Nightwing, another one of my favorite characters, Dick Grayson. I've always loved him. And for some reason, I just did not care about reading that book because it was just more dark, gritty Batman, but he's in a different city or whatever. And and I, I mean, I thought the Nightwing book in the New 52 was good. I thought it was executed well, but it was just more of the same. And I just didn't care. I know it didn't do anything for me. This is interesting. This is fun. It's a whole new take on the character. I feel that they've already captured Dick Grayson's character better than I've seen him captured in the New 52 yet. Yeah, I will say that something that is of immense credit to these writers is that this book felt like... This book... It didn't matter that he was not Nightwing. Right. It was recognizably Dick Grayson, and I never for one second felt like I was reading about a different character. Yeah, he was cocky. He was, he was recognizable in every way. He was good looking. He was smiling. He was having fun doing what he was doing. And that's something that has been missing from Nightwing for a long time. I loved this. It, I, I was so pleasantly surprised. And I want to read more of this. I'm going to start reading a regular Dick Grayson comic monthly again. Yeah. I couldn't be more excited. Buy it for me as well. Roderick Ruth didn't like it because Midnighter got his butt kicked. <laughs> as someone who loves the Midnighter and doesn't think he has any place in the DCU. I kind of liked him here. He was great. As weird spy agent guy. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Rather than like, oh, I work for Stormwatch, which is sort of like the Justice League, but we're dicks. You know? <laughs> I couldn't really tell you what Stormwatch is. In yeah, the I don't either. Here, I think but... it's long gone. So that's a double buy it for The Life After number one and for Grayson number one. Of course, we want to know what you suicidal super spies thought of this week's book. So hit us with your opinions over at the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums. Fine, I'll tell you where you can go. You can find them by clicking the forum button at twittednerd.com. I thought we were over that, but apparently you need to know. Earlier this week, our good ape friend Caesar was kind enough to invite Joey and I to the dawn of the Planet of the Apes premiere at the historic Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard. What he didn't tell us was that he and several of his converted Jewish ape co-stars were planning a good old-fashioned curb stomping on fellow human co-star Gary Oldman after some less-than-intelligent remarks made during a recent Playboy interview. A magazine Joe and I only read for the articles, by the way. Obviously. While we don't agree with his points, DJ and I recognize an old, loudmouth drunk when we see one, and, in an effort to prevent an actual ape-slash-human war, have decided to get him the hell out of here. While ape shall not kill ape, they seem to have no problem killing anti-Semites, so join us as we rush Gary back to his limo with apes and chase, all while we review ten of this week's new comics, during the ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed! Go! Bread number one from Image. 
Justin Jordan and artist Kyle Strom bring us a sci-fi horror story that's equal parts Lone Wolf and Cub, John Carpenter's The Thing, and Mad Max. Great setup, brutal art, tons of fun. Buy it! New Suicide Squad number one from DC. The Suicide Squad is back, and you know that it's new because they put new right in the name. Writer Sean Roberts adds the Joker's daughter, Black Manta, and the most uninteresting version of Deathstroke DC has ever presented to the team. Artist Jeremy Roberts has a very clean Jim Lee 1990s look to his art and does a good enough job with the action. There's nothing to clue a new new or returning reader, like myself, as to what's going on and why Amanda Waller isn't running the team and why the new guy that runs the team talks like a TMZ editor. It seems to me that DC is banking on the fact that if they put Harley Quinn and the Joker's daughter in a book together, it'll sell no matter who's writing it. Well, not to me, Buster. Leave it! If you are a secret Black Ops squad working for the government, why do you care about your Q rating? <laughs> yeah, or your image or whatever. Star Trek number 35 from IDW. This comic book made me giggle with delight more than any other comic book that I've read in months. I love the Star Trek comics. This is pure fan service that happens to be very well written to boot. If you're a Trek fan, you need to be reading this comic. If you're a lapsed Trek fan that's butthurt about the J.J. Abrams reboot... Who is butthurt about You need... My friend Ben, you need to be reading this comic. Just tell him he's wrong. Buy it. Suck it up. You're wrong, Ben. Shut up. I've tried. (laughs) I've tried, but Trekkies are very protected. I am one. I understand. You're barely a Trekkie. Chastity, number one from Dynamite. I will have you know that I have seen every Star Trek movie on premiere night since Star Trek 4, okay? Writer Mark Andreco has done excellent work writing empowered female characters in the past, and here he's taking a shot at another Chaos Comics bad girl at Dynamite. Chastity. Andrego does a good enough job bringing some humanity to an otherwise completely vacant character, but ultimately, mediocre art and just an average story makes this a skinner. OG Sin, Thor and Loki, The Tenth World, number one from Marvel. <laughs> I'm going to refer to Original Sin as OG Sin. Oh, it's Sin never going to be Original forever. Sin again. <laughs> they added Angela to the Marvel Universe, and I said, eh, whatever. They made her a Guardian of the Galaxy, and I said, I guess... And now they're forcing her into Thor continuity as the sister he didn't know that he had. What? I'm not saying that it's bad necessarily. What? But I am saying that if Marvel wants me to care, they should give me good stories starring the character instead of manipulating me by shoving her into the histories of other characters. That is dumb. The story's fine. The art is fine. I'm just tired of Marvel telling me I should care instead of giving me reasons to care. Is it maybe a trick? No, it's not a trick. Ugh, that's stupid. Look, there's nothing wrong with the idea. Like, I'm, I get it. They they need to put her into the Marvel Universe somehow. Sure, fine. She's there. Boom. Leave it at that. But stop shoehorning her in. Just give me good stories for the character and let me learn to care. Yeah, Thor sister. Don't tell me how bad I need to care. That is dumb. Skim it. Spider-Man 2099, number one from Marvel. Peter David returns to write Miguel O'Hara, the Spider-Man of 2099, but this time he's trapped in the present and working at the newly formed Alchemax. As usual, David injects his excellent humor and humanity to all the characters involved, and Will Sliney's art is just fantastic here. I really want this title to succeed, and it's not just because I'm a child of the late 80s slash early 90s, and truth be told, I'm even older than that, but I'm giving this a gigantic buy it. It was just fun. There... There is something about Will Slaney's art where he's very obviously using 
digital trickery to create his backgrounds for cityscapes. Maybe, but it works. I don't Some, have a problem. Sometimes with it. it's obvious in like a that is a photo, and it was very distracting. You know, it didn't bother me that much. I'll go back and look at it again. Yeah. But I really liked it. Otherwise, I, I think he's a good artist. Royals Masters of War, number six from Vertigo. This has quietly been one of my favorite reads of the year. Royals was an interesting mini about an alternate history where members of superpowered royal bloodlines influenced the outcome of World War II. Great story by Rob Williams with lovely art by Simon Colby. He's really good. Strong finish to this series. I'm giving it a buy it. Sherwood, Texas, number one from 12 Gauge. If you've been waiting for a Robin Hood Sons of Anarchy mashup, then 12 Gauge has the comic book for you. Here we see Rob Hood, an ex-naval officer returning home to Sherwood, Texas after the death of his father, Richard the Lion Hood. Little John, Maid Marian, Will Scarlet are all here reimagined as bikers in the present, written by Shane Berryhill with art by Daniel Hilliard, who reminded me very much of what I love about Brian Stelfree. He's really good. This was fun. I want more. I know you're saying that sounds cheesy. You're wrong. Pick this up. It was a good time. Buy it. Yusagi Yojimbo color special from Dark Horse. This is the first Yusagi Yojimbo comic that I have ever read. What? And I want to formally <laughs> apologize <laughs> to Stan Sakai and everyone else in the comics creating and reading community for taking so long to check it out. Absolutely perfect storytelling and art. A great way to sample the character if you've been a complete idiot up until now like I have. Buy it. It's I can't I can't believe how good it is. I'm shocked. I'm just shocked. Death Vigil number one from Top Cow. Stedge Pan Sedgic. <laughs> How do you blow up? It's STJ. So the Heapon Sedgic becomes a double thread here, writing and drawing this one, and it's really pretty and creepy. The story isn't bad either. Here we meet a group of people that protect the living from the evil dead, using enchanted weapons, like everybody seems to in the Top Cow universe, and aided by a talking white raven. It's all very goth and Top Cow and overdrawn and overlettered and overcolored, but it's really pretty to look at and not bad at all. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. That was a glowing review. <laughs> That is your ludicrous speed round, and to chalk is the sound of Chastity killing her first vampire. I think that's Klingon. That's a word in Klingon. Could be. I think it's a, a woman's name in Klingon. Who just happened to also be her favorite writer, as seen in this week's issue of Chastity, number one. She basically meets Anne Rice, and Anne Rice is actually a vampire. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. It's all right to cry. cry it's been both a great and terrible week for famous apes. Caesar and an all-star cast of apes have made Rise of the Planet of the Apes the number one movie in the U.S. and garnered a 91% fresh rating on RottenTomatoes.com. Unfortunately, not all of our favorite ape friends are doing so well, so we invited Kongorilla, Gorilla Grodd, and Dunstan the Orangutan from Dunstan Checks In poor guy. to the Sanctum Sanctorum, where Matt and I are hosting some group ape therapy and discussing some of next week's comics. It's all we can do. Matt, tell our friends what you're excited for next week. Next week, I'm going to be reading Black Market, number one, from Boom, written by Frank J. Barberi. The guy is now writing like 17 books a month. Right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> With art by Victor Santos, who I also really, really like. Here's your solicit. Ray Willis is a broken man, a disgraced medical examiner, making ends meet by preparing corpses at a funeral parlor. His scientific genius is being wasted. That is... Until his estranged criminal brother, Denny, shows up on his doorstep, supposedly cleaned up 
and proposing a once-in-a-lifetime partnership to cure not just cancer, but all disease. The catch? It exists within the DNA of superheroes. Ooh. Black market superhero organ sales. Awesome. <laughs> Love Batman's going to wake up in a tub full of ice <laughs> with a note that says, get to the hospital. He doesn't have any super parts. He's just a dude. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Aquaman. Maybe. Superman. <laughs> Victor Santos is awesome and perfectly suited to draw a super creepy book like this. And nobody writes creepy like Frank J. Barberi. That guy is awesome. I love what he does. I cannot wait for more from him. Joey, what are you reading next week? Next week, it's all about Life with Archie, number 36 <laughs> from Archie Comics. <laughs> written by Paul Kupperberg with art by Pat Kennedy. Two names which up until now you have never heard either one of us utter out loud. This is it. Here's your solicit. History is in the making in this epic finale to the acclaimed series Life with Archie as America's most beloved character makes the ultimate sacrifice to save a friend. Just insane. <laughs> the unthinkable <laughs> happens. Archie Andrews dies. Fans will experience an epic tale of Archie's future sure to make headlines, generate discussion, and stand as one of the most talked about Archie stories of all time. Do not miss this game-changing tale of love, friendship, and true heroism. The death of Archie. How could it not be my pick? Wow. Doomsday is going to come down and beat Archie <laughs> to death. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. <laughs> there are like a million variant covers by some of the best artists in the business. Oh, people on got this. in line to draw these. <laughs> Jill Thompson, Fiona Staples. Yeah. Like the list goes on and on. And it's a bunch of your favorite like superhero death scenes starring Archie. No, it's not. That's <laughs> not what was. they're doing. Like Bullseye pushing aside <laughs> Archie. <laughs> Jughead cradling Archie's yeah. dead body like Supergirl. <laughs> be awesome. <laughs> Actually, that would be awesome. That'd be totally awesome. <laughs> Bane breaking Archie now. Oh, his knee and man. Stuff. <laughs> it's so cool. Oh, wow. I could not make it my pick. I'm an Archie fan from childhood, and I don't keep up with the main book, but there was no way I wasn't going to read this. So I'm going to say goodbye to my old friend next week. I'm going to read it, too. Not, I'm not going to be upset, but like, I just have to see what happens. Archie comics are insane now i love they it. they have gone bonkers i love Archie, it and i love it the thn trade of the week goes to the second graphic novel from random house slash ballantine books this is written and drawn by brian lee o'malley with art assists by jason fisher lettering by dustin harabin and colors by nathan Ferberin. the highly anticipated new standalone full color graphic novel from brian lee o'malley author and artist of the hugely best-selling Scott Pilgrim graphic novel series, and not much else. Seconds is a complex and novelistic standalone story about a young restaurant owner named Katie, who, after being visited by a magical apparition, is given a second chance at love to undo her wrongs. Fans new and old will love Brian's bold and quirky style, infused with his subtle, playful humor. We both loved Scott Pilgrim. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves Scott Pilgrim. And I feel like this is where we find out if Brian Lee O'Malley can capture lightning in a bottle again. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, Scott Pilgrim was not his first graphic novel. No, I realize that. But it was definitely his biggest and most successful. Sure. And well, people cool. are expecting... That's because it was tapped into pop culture right. in a way that, you know... I think people are expecting a lot here. And I would assume he is very nervous right now. Well, I'm telling you... I'm nervous to I'm, read it. I am 50 pages in. We got a, a review copy from the lovely... Folks at Random House, 
and it's unreasonably wonderful. <laughs> so excellent. We're going to talk. Uh, that's about it a next little week. bit of a spoiler. We're, it's two weeks. Two weeks out. Oh, two weeks out. Sorry. It's going to be take a look. It's in a book at the end of this month. There we go. Check it out. It comes out next Wednesday. As soon as you're done monkeying around with your overly emotional eight buddies, be sure to let us know. That's gross. Be sure to let us know. We're helping them. <laughs> be sure to let us know what you'll be reading next week over at the THN forums. I didn't say fiddling around. <laughs> Canoodling with your eight buddies. I know some big boys that cry too. It's time again to play Ask a Nerd here in the Ziggurat, where we go deep into the THN mailbag. What? Pull out a question from one lucky listener. Now pay attention, guys. We also do trivia here. So feel free to hit us with some trivia questions. Listen, people are intimidated by my genius. Don't be intimidated. We gotta we gotta knock this dude down. Come on. But that's at the point. This month's question comes from our forums, courtesy of Stephen Kohler. Stephen writes, quote, Hello, Joe and Matt. I just listened to a recent podcast, and Wooly Toots mentioned a Bob Kane Hollywood star. I've heard about Bill Finger's contributions to Batman for years, and I agree he should get more credit. But here's my question. It seems to be in vogue to bash Bob Kane now. We love an underdog. But with all the talking heads bashing Bob and pulling for Finger, isn't it possible that we are now making an underdog of Bob Kane? which in turn will lead to Kane supporters starting to bash Finger. It reminds me of the Kirby versus Lee debate. It started with Stan Lee as the face of Marvel Comics and known as the creator of. Then the story became that Kirby created everything and Stan just rode his coattails and took credit. Recently, it seems most fans are willing to give them both an equal share of credit as it should be, which he's saying in parentheses, he thinks it should be. I would love to. I disagree. <laughs> I would love to get the two-headed opinion on the topic of how creators are credited in comics. For example, we always hear about Alan Moore's Watchmen, but I believe there was an artist on that book as well. Shouldn't Dave Gibbons get more credit? Question mark. I added the Dave Gibbons part, but this is a great question and a really difficult one. It's thought-provoking, and there's no real excellent answer. There's no like definitive response to this. Um, it is a fun thing to talk about, though. It and is. There are a lot of examples, you know, through the years Before of. Before we get into this, first and foremost, we should recognize that there is no hardcore comic book history out there. So a lot of what we hear are people's opinions on what was going on. Sure, at the time. stories that are passed down, right? Interviews that are given, which are obviously so when, secondhand, right? So when someone says Jack Kirby created Captain America and Stanley took all the credit. Well, there may be some truth to that, but we don't know the whole story. From what I've seen and read, yeah, I kind of believe that Kirby deserves more credit than he got. But we don't know the whole story. So it gets really messy, especially like the, the Bob Finger, pardon me, the Bob Kane, Bill Finger thing. It's another thing where it seems like there's a lot of evidence out there, but why was it buried? Because it's muddy. We don't really know the be details of all this because stuff. I mean, it's a combination of things. One, it, part of it is, you know, contract dealings that were almost a century ago. Right. Uh, part of it is is the fact that back then when all these concepts were created, nobody gave a shit. Right. Uh, and no one thought anyone was going to be making a living off of this stuff or, this, or a permanent living. This question really begins with Siegel and Schuster. They were sure, really, yeah. They created Superman. 
DC went on to make untold billions of dollars on the character of Superman, and Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster essentially died pretty poor. I mean, I don't, I don't think they were like wearing barrels with straps or anything, but like they, they weren't rich guys. They were not either. taken care of. And if you walk out on the street and say, "Hey, who created Superman?" Everybody knows who Superman is, but they're not going to be able to tell you the name of the two Jewish kids from New York that created him. Cleveland. Regardless. While a lot of it is secondhand information, and he said versus, he said, he said, because back then it was all dudes. It is, Matt is right that it was kind of a muddy time. But speaking of creator credit, like who gets credit for being the creator of a character? Is it truly a co-creating kind of situation? I remember very vividly that a Peter David, who used to have a column in a, a magazine called Comics Buyer's Guide for many, many years, mm-hmm. he had a column, uh, and in one of them, he kind of put forth uh, the idea that the writer, in work for higher situations, the writer should be credited as the creator in most cases, with the artist more accurately described as co-developer. Because the writer is the one that sat in the chair in front of the typewriter with a blank page in it that said, I'm adding a new character to Spider-Man, and this is that character. Sure. But I would also argue that's not always the case. Sometimes the artist draws someone and they're like, hey, look what I came up with. Yeah, no, you're right. And he uh, he conceded that it doesn't apply in every case. Okay. Uh, His example was Venom. Uh, At the time, the writer David Michelinie came up with the idea for the character... Of Venom, the costume itself was designed years earlier by Mike Zeck. Yeah. Todd McFarlane added the tongue and the teeth. Which he's been doing ever since. Right. <laughs> and it, but again, that was 20 years ago. When this column was written, it was 20 years ago, back when comics production, especially at the big two, mm-hmm. was more of like an assembly line. These days, real creative partnerships are more the norm. You know, like right. Matt Fraction and David Aja on Hawkeye. Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey on everything they've done. But even so, did Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey really create the Wicked and the Divine together? Or did one of them call up the other and say, I've got this idea about gods reincarnating as pop stars. It gets really messy. And then they went from there. Okay, and that's it gets messy today when creators have those rights, where you can go work for Image Comics and you own what you're doing. And you can take it anywhere you want. It still gets messy. Look at The Walking Dead, for example. And we're going to get to that. But my question is, who originated the idea and does it even matter anymore? Right. I think that if you ask Gillen and McKelvey, they will say that they co-created The Wicked and the Abso- Absolutely. They co-created Phonogram. Yeah. Even though one of them may have started the, the planted the seed, it didn't become a full-fledged thing until they both added to it. Right. Personally, I think that while a writer might have an initial idea, true creation really refers to the whole product, and comics are visual. So in most cases, character or concept creation has to be credited to the writer and artist equally. And I agree with that. The exception, I th- maybe, is Kirkman versus Tony Moore over The Walking Dead. Yeah, that's a mess. Like I, I will tell you firsthand, I've looked at it, with my own eyes recently. Walking Dead number one credits Kirkman as writer slash creator. Yeah. And Tony Moore is credited as artist. Not to discount Moore's contributions or anything, but there's nothing visual about the world of The Walking Dead or the characters 
that would be that drastically different. Right. There's no one wearing a costume. If Rick was or, a black man or right. a woman or a dwarf, Walking Dead would still be the same comic. Little essentially. person. Thank you. Isn't dwarf? No, they're little people now. Oh, man. I'm real sorry. I yeah, thought I was being great. politically correct. That's great. <laughs> but you don't, you get my point. There's nothing. Right. The story would still be the same. The character designs don't seem as important to the story in this case. And it could be that Kirkman even had rough designs of some of the characters before hiring Tony Moore. And that's true. But you could also say lots of people have drawn zombies. And that's really the star of the book. So it gets really messy. Yeah. The thing in that case is that we'll never know. Right. We'll never know the real story. All All I can do is look at a first print copy of Walking Dead number one. Where Tony Moore is not created is not credited as co-creator. Yeah, and this is Image Comics where you own your creation. And he was okay with it until yeah, they started raking in the dough. So it's a tricky thing. I think we can all agree that artists and writers should probably share in the credit, especially for creator-owned Definitely. ideas. But there are going to be cases where a writer or an artist develops an idea on his own and then goes to a buddy to fill in the parts of the creation that he can't. Right. Not every artist is a writer. Not every writer is an artist. Sometimes you need to have somebody help you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's what happens in in some cases. The problem lies in the fact that when we look further and further back into history, it gets messier and messier yeah. because contracts were not the same. Work for hire was a totally different idea than it is now. And we don't know. Is Bob Kane the monster that he's been made out to me? Probably. Maybe. Probably. I mean, we don't know 100%. I the, think we kind of do. The evidence that I've seen doesn't look good. Right. But I do see where you're going there. In the case of someone like an Alan Moore, I don't think Alan Moore was ever so much that guy. I think Alan Moore was just main billing oh, listen, because and, he's Alan Moore. And don't feel bad for Dave Gibbons. Dave Gibbons has made his money. Alan Moore has divested himself from Watchmen yeah. and Dave Gibbons reaps all of the benefits. Yeah. And 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 I'm sure he's very thankful that Alan yeah. Moore's as crazy as he is. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and and though Alan Moore is certainly the bigger name, you know, arguably, I don't remember Dave Gibbons ever getting the short shrift when it no, comes to definitely credit not. In and I don't think Alan Moore ever did that to any of the people that he worked right. with. You and, don't hear people complaining about working with alan moore and sharing profits i've never heard and really like watchman was not steven's point he just used it as an example no i get it but yeah in this case dave gibbons is doing just fine (laughs) steven there's a book you should read if you want to know more about this it's called men of tomorrow geeks gangsters and the birth of the comic book it's written by gerard jones who wrote green lantern for a while at dc He's an amazing comic book historian. Yeah. And the story starts with the story of Siegel and Schuster first bringing their case against DC Comics in the 1980s when the Superman movie came out and how the family wasn't even credited in the movie, let alone, you know, paid for anything. And it goes from there. It is a wonderful book. It really explores the idea of work for hire. It explores the idea of who owns an idea and a creation based on where it where it is born right and it is just a fantastic book it's still in print you can get it um, you can get it anywhere i highly recommend you check that out and you can google um google peter david the wacko theory 
W-A-C-K-O. And you will find an archive of that article. It's dated. It's from 1993. Um, but it does have like updated like notes and and comments from the modern day. And it talks in fascinating detail about this very thing. Uh, it talks about Venom. And then it gets into Cable. It's another big mess. Who created Cable? The answer is who the f*** knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although and, Rob Leefield will scream on Twitter about him doing yeah, it all absolutely, day. <laughs> absolutely. So it's a fascinating thing. Um, just real quick to wrap it up. Stan Lee came out in an interview I th- the other day, I think, where he said that uh, something to the effect of his least favorite part of the movie of any comic book movie or of any movie is the credits because it's boring and who cares about seeing all those names they flash by so fast and you don't even know and you don't know any of those people who cares Stanley is a crotchety old man he didn't mean anything bad by it right but if you think about it for two seconds you realize that Stanley's favorite our least favorite part of the movie is the part of the movie where anybody gets any credit. It is a biting look at his psychology. It's the only <laughs> it's the only place that you can see the name Jack Kirby on any Marvel movie. It's true. And so think about that. You know, back then and probably to an extent now, nobody really thinks to worry about who's responsible for what, who gets credit for what. Right. Until it's too late. And I'm here to tell you that when THN takes off, I will be the first one to throw Matt under the bus because this show was my idea. The good news is I forged his signature on a bunch of different contracts, so he is f***ed when we go to court. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your question. I don't think we really answered it, but I think the discussion is what's important. It's more of a debate. And this is another muddy and kind of ugly part of comic book history and unfortunately there's a lot of that stuff out there yeah (laughs) yep and it's just it's an interesting discussion to have and i'm glad you brought it up absolutely and if you have a question that you would like answered on ask a nerd or a trivia question that you want to challenge don't bother jumping all scared of me with you're all scared of me i get it somebody out there i get it knock this guy down a peg you can email it to us you can send us an mp3 of your question and we'll play you on the show or you can call us at 402-819-4894 and leave us a message with your question. It would be awesome. We get all these ones that we're reading. Let's hear from you guys. Shoot us one. I'm totally in favor of that. Let's do it. Sort of break it down like this. And that is it for the Ape Takeover episode of THN. If you love a monkey smoking a cigar and riding a unicycle as much as we do, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors, especially our newest sustaining member, Richard Kovars. You keep this show alive and kicking. And if you'd like to continue funding THN's Project X, you can make your donation in any amount using our handy PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. It's only slightly radioactive. Yeah, it's not too bad. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Repeated exposure won't be bad. Yeah, I mean, just... <laughs> you know, you only have to click it once. Keep if you it become, away from pregnant ladies and babies and you'll be fine. If you become a sustaining member, you only have to touch it once. It's true. And it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box. As little as a buck a month. Really helps out big time, you guys. By the way, Project X, saddest Matthew Broderick film ever. While you're there, you can find links to our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline using this vaguely human fuzzy list of resources. You can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions. 
you can defend your questionable comic book tastes against the two-headed judge in our Defender segment, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic book, be it printed, digital, paper mache, 3D. Ooh, that would be cool, right? <laughs> Whatever! Cool, yeah. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. This is your little piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss your favorite symbol-slapping Hollywood monkey this week's show, or just rap about comics. You're a real train wreck. You know that? Whatever. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. Then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out I Forgot to Post Saturday Morning Cartoons. You're getting really good at forgetting to post stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new Saturday Morning Cartoons all about Beetlejuice, which is a weird one. There are ludicrous speed reviews, as always, by Aaron Myers. He's really nice once you get to know him. Yeah, he's not so bad. Every once in a while, we get a Batman Forever article by Kevin Coffey. <laughs> it's fun stuff. It's a good time. It's fun stuff. Next week, the comic pushers are back, and that means my man DJ will be laying down some dope rhymes and suggesting some seriously addictive comics. It's been two months. I don't know if I can. I thought I'm. I think I'm free of that. Really? Is that what you think? I think I'm done with that. I think I'll let you know when you're free of that. And suggesting some seriously addictive comics for one lucky listener. This week's shout out goes to Andrea Shock, who was invited to speak at the San Diego Comic Con, getting the most out of graphic novels in your classroom and library panel. I like comics in the classroom a little bit better, but hey, I'm not in charge. Word to you, Shock. You've always been the brains of the Comics Therapy Podcast. We won't tell Aaron. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Most notably, Devilers, number one from Dynamite. It's another Joshua Hale Fielkov joint. Looks cool because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. Ape joke. Ooh, 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 ah, ah, ah. Yeah.